Good morning and welcome to the 64th annual Convocation Exercises of Covenant College. It is wonderful to have all of you here today, uh, the faculty arrayed in all of their academic color and glory. Like some sort of enormous educational peacock. <laughs> um, you guys in the front row look great as well. Uh, this is a solemn and joyous occasion. Uh, solemn because we're being called to serious work as we challenge one another to explore and express the preeminence of Jesus Christ in all things. And joyous because this is good work, uh, sometimes even fun work, work in which we get to employ God's good gifts to us, and we get to watch others around us employ their good gifts, and we get to rejoice in God's generosity to us. And today we are uh, convoked. We are literally uh, con together and vocare, called. We're called together today uh, at the beginning of the academic year. And we're reminded today that together we are called uh, to a shared task, to a shared mission. And so as uh, we remind ourselves of that this morning, I would like to invite Dr. Richard Follett, professor of history, uh, to provide our opening invocation, and then after we sing our first hymn, Dr. Jawan Beck, Assistant Professor of French, will read scripture. Please pray with me. Father Almighty, who in your mercy and grace has called us together, to this time and to this place, we thank you for gifts we know and for some we have still to discover. We gather one small segment of the people of God, called out and strengthened by your Holy Spirit, to proclaim to understand and more deeply to follow the preeminence of Christ in all things. Some of us come excited, perhaps nervous, beginning a new thing in a new direction in our lives. Some of us come as veterans with experience maybe with battle scars, and perhaps some little bits of hardball wisdom. All of us come carrying within us hopes and plans, but also wounds from our past, and if we are honest, capacity to sin, which if not checked by you, will fester and destroy. Help us, Lord, now to repent of what has gone before that was not of you, for this new start and we pray, renew us as we begin this new year of learning and service. And give us all a right spirit and hearts and minds turned to knowing you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. That we may be sincere and pure as we praise you and dedicate ourselves anew to seek and to do your will. And to glorify you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord.
Première épître aux Corinthiens, chapitre 15. Ce que je dis, frères et sœurs, c'est que la chair et le sang ne peuvent hériter le royaume de Dieu et que la corruption n'hérite pas l'incorruptibilité. Voici, je vous dis un mystère. Nous ne mourrons pas tous, mais tous nous serons changés en un instant, en un clin d'œil à la dernière trompette. La trompette sonnera et les morts ressusciteront incorruptibles et nous, nous serons changés. Car il faut que ce corps corruptible revête l'incorruptibilité et que ce corps mortel revête l'immortalité. Lorsque ce corps corruptible aura revêtu l'incorruptibilité et que ce corps mortel aura revêtu l'immortalité, alors s'accomplira la parole qui est écrite. La mort a été engloutie dans la victoire. Ô oh mort, où est ta victoire Ô oh mort, où est ton aiguillon L'aiguillon de la mort, c'est le péché, et la puissance du péché, c'est la loi. Mais grâce soit rendue à Dieu, qui nous donne la victoire par notre Seigneur Jésus-Christ. Ainsi, mes frères et sœurs bien-aimés, soyez fermes, inébranlables, travaillant de mieux en mieux à l'œuvre du Seigneur, sachant que votre travail ne sera pas vain dans le Seigneur. 1 Corinthians 15, 50-58 I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Merci beaucoup, Professor Beck. Uh, it's my privilege now to introduce uh, this year's convocation speaker, Dr. Stephen Kaufman, Professor of Education and Dean of Education and Social Science. Dr. Kaufman earned his bachelor's degree in history from Covenant College, studied at Covenant Theological Seminary, and earned his MA in history and PhD in the history of education at the University of Iowa. He's known for thoughtfully and comprehensively grounding his scholarship in the truths of the Christian faith. He has contributed in significant ways both to the core educational program at Covenant College and to the development of the education department. He's written numerous articles and book chapters over the years and served on various committees of the college. He has led student trips multiple times to Central Europe and to New York City. He is recognized for bringing Christian principles to bear on the development of Christian schools in Europe. 
having published a book entitled First the Foundation, a primer for Christian school education, which has been translated into Hungarian, Romanian, French, Polish, Chinese, Spanish, German, Czech, and Afrikaans. He's also published a book entitled Meditations for Teachers, Reflections for Christian Teachers about their work, which has been translated into Hungarian, French, German, and Chinese. For five years, he taught philosophy of education courses in the summers at Spice Mountain College in Beijing. He has taught similar courses for the Association of Christian Schools International in Hungary, Poland, France, and Cote d'Ivoire. Although he has taught many courses at Covenant College, he is probably best known for his class in the history and philosophy of American education, which I took as an undergraduate. Professor Kaufman also served for six years as the inaugural moderator of the faculty and with wisdom and thoughtfulness helped to provide leadership for the college during those years. He has served beyond the campus on various Christian school boards in Tennessee, Iowa, and New Jersey, and he is an elder in the Presbyterian Church in America. Stephen and his wife Mary have seven children, all of whom are alumni of Covenant College. They also have six grandchildren, one of whom is an alumnus of the college, and another, Jonathan Kaufman, who is currently a Covenant College student. Would you please welcome Dr. Steve Kaufman. Let me channel my inner Jay Green and say, Hello, Covenant College! <laughs> President Halverson, faculty, staff, students of Covenant College, I'm humbled by this opportunity to speak to you. I love this place. And I'm grateful for my years of association with the college, first as a student and now as a faculty member. What I owe the college is more than I can express. But I thank God for every colleague I've had, every idea discussed in the Nick Barker faculty lounge, or in the Lou Voskel conference room, for every book read and article written, every challenge along the way, and most of all, for every student I've been privileged to teach in my 36 years of teaching here. I'm grateful. Speaking of what I owe the college, I, I met Mary here when I was a student. She finally consented to marry me after I pursued her for three years. I once memorized every verse of Simon and Garfunkel's I'm a Rock, I'm an Island. <laughs> during, during one of the many times that we were split up. But now, as of two weeks ago, we've been married for 50 years. She said it was the 49, years of, 49 best years of her life, those 50 years of marriage to me. Just, just a joke. I'm happy to read uh, you something I wrote for her uh, and about her some time ago. It re relates to what I'm uh, going to say later, but it's mostly a tribute. One, one morning, Mary said to me, I'm going to show you something. What I said, the buds on the crepe myrtle <clears throat> uh, bush outside our front door. You've got to come and see them. 
So we went, and Mary said, see the intricacy, see the beauty deep within the bud. It's unlike anything we'll see all season. Mary has continually invited me to look at something or to smell something or to hear something. And part of the delight of looking and hearing and sniffing about is her invitation to do so. To have a partner with whom to enjoy what is beautiful is a gift from God. Mary has shown me there's more to life than books and basketball. Like spring buds or fresh cut flowers gracing the dinner table or the smell of lavender or the sound of music, not just music to be streamed, but music to be sung and music to be played on the piano and other assorted instruments that have chimed in through the years in our house. Mary brought all this into my life and the life of our family. And I say with the writer of Proverbs, some things are too amazing for me, things I do not understand, but for which I'm immensely grateful. Mary's invitation to see the beauty around has profoundly shaped my life for these 50 years. And again, thanks be to God. And now for a Covenant College commercial. I was a history major, philosophy minor, and basketball player here uh, when I was a student at Covenant. And while I don't regret those choices for a minute, I do regret never taking an art course. Or, yes, or courses from the music and theater departments. I, I wish I uh, would have learned and enjoyed uh, something of what Mary knew and enjoyed. And those departments open up dimensions of being human that were underdeveloped in me. Now, your situation may be different. You may be more aesthetically developed than I was. So what part of the creational landscape do you need to explore? What part of yourself do you need to develop? Dive deep into a major, to be sure, but also cultivate interests and capabilities while you're here. And while I'm commercializing, go hang out in the library. Be a reader. Read everything. Read journals. Read books. Read to satisfy curiosity. Read to become curious. Read for your classes. Read outside your classes. Read to have a larger sense of things. Tim Keller said it well, I think, when he said, when you read one thinker, you become a clone. Two thinkers, you become confused. Ten thinkers, and you begin to develop your own voice. Two or three hundred thinkers, and you become wise. Amen. Well, Mr. Holberg and his staff stand ready to help you out on your reading adventure. So why these commercials about all the good things you can learn at Covenant? Why talk about a broad understanding and appreciation of God and his world? Here's why. I want you to get ready. Yes, ready for work and life today, but also ready for what is to come tomorrow. Ready to live in God's world today and in God's new world tomorrow. I've been mulling over for some time this 
uh, wonderful resurrection passage in 1 Corinthians 15. I suppose I'm attracted to it because I'm getting older. But along with the future hope that it gives, I'm excited by the way the text ties future hope to the present. We're called, I think, to live today in the light of the tomorrows of eternity. Our text today is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 and following. This is um, toward the end of an extended passage where Paul argues for the absolute necessity of Christ's resurrection for our faith. Some in the church were saying there is no resurrection. And Paul says to them, if there's no resurrection, then our faith is in vain. Because that would mean that Christ has not risen from the dead, but Christ has been raised. Paul goes on to say, and because of his resurrection, Christ has won the victory, the victory over sin and death, a victory that will be fully realized when he returns to make all things right in the new heavens and the new earth. Something dramatic has happened with Christ's resurrection that affects not only you and me personally, but the very nature of the cosmos. The process of overcoming the pervasive effects of the fall has begun and will ultimately be completed when Christ returns. With that brief background, I'll read selections from the passage that Professor Beck read earlier. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In this stirring passage, Paul tells us that Christ will do for us what only he can do. He will make us whole. The journey towards wholeness began when we were born again, and it will be completed when we receive our new bodies, which are immortal and imperishable bodies. We will be whole, body and soul, ready for the new heavens and the new earth. In the meantime, Paul says, stand firm, for what we do for the Lord today has consequences for what is to come. A remarkable idea, to be sure. To apply this to our lives, I begin with the work of Brian Walsh and Richard Middleton, who have written much about the way a person's worldview gives heart and mind shaping perspective to the questions of life. In one of their books, they write that every worldview answers four questions. Who am I? Where am I? What's wrong? And what's the remedy? 
The Bible gives powerful answers to those questions that we all know quite well. Who am I? I'm made in the image of God and loved by God if I belong to him. Where am I? In a universe charged with the grandeur of God, as one writer has said. In our world, there's much to delight and dazzle, much to give thanks for, loving friends, fall mornings with their brilliant colors, and pizza pie, to name just a few. But something is wrong with me and with the world. The fall besets and limits and causes us to take the good gifts from God and remake them into our own image for our own glory. Yet we're not left to our own resources. God in Christ has rescued us from our sin, and there will come a day when Christ will return and put all things right. We are made by Christ and for Christ, as Paul says in Colossians. He's our remedy. That's what this passage points us to, and thanks be to God. In the meantime, here we are, redeemed but still affected by sin, both our sin and the sin of others. And so, practically speaking, other answers to the four worldview questions pop up and redirect us. This is the problem that we face in our fallenness and why it is that Paul calls on us to stand firm. Some of you have heard me speak by way of example of the of the case of the frightened new middle schooler who's been worrying all summer about going to the large middle school across town in the fall. That student likely has very different answers to the four questions. Who am I? Well, I'm a nobody. I don't know anything. Nobody cares about me. I'm sure I'm not going to fit in. Where am I? I'm in a scary place. Everyone else knows more than I do, and I don't even know how to find my locker. What's wrong? Well, just about everything. I'm wearing the wrong shoes, the wrong clothes. I'm either too tall or too short. I'm too skinny or too fat. I'm not smart enough, not athletic enough, not popular enough. What's the remedy? I've got to make a name. For myself so that I can fit in. I gotta make the team or get good grades or, or attract friends. If I can just do those things, I will succeed and I will count for something. This is an exaggeration to be sure, but have you ever felt this way? Even a little bit. Your identity is based on how you will perform rather than uh, what Christ has done for you. Not really made for Christ really made for self? To me, this is the central problem for living, misplaced identity. I believe that my identity is in Christ, but then something happens, and I'm right back to relying on my own resources, where I'm prone to do and say the wrong things for all the wrong reasons, attempting to make something of myself. By the way, don't you think that colleges in particular are especially fertile soil to cultivate misplaced identity. Not intentionally, of course, but it's possible for us students and faculty members alike to see our work and our place in the community as the source 
of our identity. One writer warns that judging our worth by the quality of our performance is a trap. It's the devil's attack on the grace of God, he says. God graciously made us in his image and he daily endows us with strength for our work. When our lives are a joy, it's from God's hand. When life is hard, God's hand is still upholding us. This business of standing firm that Paul talks about really isn't about us becoming worthy enough for Christ. It's about the eminently worthy Christ being raised and returning to make us whole. Do you believe this? And so, God calls us to a life of faith, to see our stories with all their inconsistencies in the context of his larger story. It's the story of 1 Corinthians 15. God is gathering to himself a people and using them as instruments to advance his kingdom. And the day is coming when we will all be changed and we will receive new resurrection bodies and all our goof-ups and failings will be no more. Revelation 22, we read that this day is not far off. There Christ gives us a promise that is utterly certain. He tells us he is coming soon. Martin Luther once said that if he knew that the Lord was returning tomorrow, he would still plant his apple trees today. Why did he say that? The Lord's return gives point and purpose to our work today. Let him find me doing his work, says Luther. The same is true for us. Let's be faithful to our calling in anticipation of the Lord's return, which is coming soon. But you say, those are pious thoughts. But I have to be honest. I'm, it's only day one and I'm already having a hard time getting my act together. Ever feel that way? Ever feel that if you could just get an A on the test, all will be well? But then you get an A and all is not well because now you've got to write that paper and who knows how that's gonna come out. Or if you could just get the attention of that certain someone, that person you're attracted to, you know that person? Then your life would be complete. But then you do and you, and you find out that he or she has feet of clay or bad breath or something else wrong. <laughs> or even worse, he or she finds out all the defects you've been trying to hide. Life is this mixed bag of good things and bad things and it never stops being that way. To be sure, the good times are really good, but then there is the loss of a loved one or the dark night of the soul, and you wonder if this is as good as it gets. It could be that C.S. Lewis helps us here when he writes, if I find in myself a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If Lewis is right, then it's no wonder that your life doesn't always satisfy. You were made for another world. And who knows? Maybe you'll be a great piano player or a great scientist or a great curveball pitcher in that world. 
I don't know, but I do know that in that world, you'll be able to experience life in Christ unhindered by the fall because you were made by him and for him. So your heart will no longer be restless because it will rest in him. To alter St. Augustine's quote just a little bit. You and I were made for that world, yet we can anticipate the new day in the, in the here and now if we have the eyes of faith to see. Scriptures repeatedly connect future hope with present responsibility. In the light of what is to come, Peter tells us to make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with the Lord. Paul tells the church to continue to work out its salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. And in our passage, Paul concludes by saying, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why is that? Because Christ is risen and you will too. You believe that? That's God's promise to you. Your work is not in vain. In some way, we can't fully understand. There is a connection between our faithful work today and the future hope that we have in Christ. We don't bring in the kingdom of God through our efforts, but God chooses to erect these efforts as signposts signposts bearing witness to the coming full realization of his kingdom. So, when you show kindness to someone who is needy, might be your roommate. When you write the insightful essay, when you work for justice in your community, when you love mercy, when you bake the delicious apple pie and share it with me, <laughs> then maybe you should look at those as signposts of the coming kingdom. Signposts that point to a better day. Indeed, there is a signpost point and purpose to our lives right now. Not perfectly, we still screw up. And by God's grace, that's okay. But we can begin to fix things. There's a big picture view of the fix that can only come with the return of Christ when he makes all things new. But there's also a little picture of the fix that goes on all the time in countless and varied ways. Pollution in the river is cleaned up. Spouses are reunited. Schools get adequate resources and qualified teachers. The widow and the orphan are visited, as are the elderly in nursing homes. People unite in virtuous causes. Adults go off to work in fulfilling jobs. Meals are times of good conversation and celebration. There's much to delight and to dazzle. The way of a man with a maid. The way of a ship on the sea. The way of a hard-fought basketball game. And a well-sung anthem by the college choir. The equation is solved. The essay is written. The quarrel is over. The leak is fixed. The heat is on. The blockade is over. The war is ended. And how about you? Your life can be full of triumphs. 
big and small, which lead to a richer, more humane life for you and for those you touch. Why do I say that? Because of how Paul ends this passage. If I were to have written 1 Corinthians 15, I think I would have ended it by saying, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please come quickly, Lord Jesus. But he doesn't say that. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What do you want to do with your life? What are you gifted to do? Raise a company? Raise a family? Be a chef? Be a teacher? Be a journalist? Give yourselves fully to the work that the Lord is calling you to do. And now think about what that means for Covenant College. It means that our work today takes on an urgency and a vitality and a significance that our, as our here and now labors connect us to the future reality that Paul describes. We're in the middle of something, folks. Will you always stand firm? No. Will you fail? Yes. But your promise as a believer is that you have a role in God's big project. In some mysterious way, your labors for God now are so important to him that they will have eternal consequence. As one writer has said, God's recreation of his wonderful world, which began with the resurrection of Jesus and continues Mysteriously, as God's people live in the risen Christ, means that what we do in Christ and by his spirit in the present is not wasted. It will last all the way into God's new world. In fact, it will be enhanced there. Do you believe that? Now back to the worldview questions. Never forget this answer to the who are you question. You're not a nobody. You're loved by God. Where are you, Covenant College? You're not in a scary place. You're in the hollow of God's hand. And what are you up to? Participating in God's grand project, the one that stretches across the border of this life and into the next. Your labor today is not in vain. I close with the words of a song that Professor Beck shared with the faculty last week. The authors of the song are Wendell Kimbrough, Paul Zach, and Isaac Wardell of the Porter's Gate Worship Project. Isaac is a Covenant alum. The song's entitled, Your Labor's Not in Vain. Your labor is not in vain, though the ground beneath you is cursed and stained. Your planting and reaping are never the same, but your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not unknown. Though the rocks, they cry out in the sea, it may groan. The place of your toil may not seem like home, but your labor is not unknown. 
The vineyards you plant will bear fruit. The fields will sing out and rejoice with the truth. For all that is old will at last be made new. The vineyards you plant will bear fruit. The houses you labored to build will finally with laughter and joy be filled. The serpent that hurts and destroys shall be killed. And all that is broken be healed. For I am with you. I am with you. For I have called you. Called you by name. Your labor is not in vain. And that's good news this convocation morning at Covenant College. Change is in the air. Our labor is not in vain. God is at work in ways we can only imagine. And we're privileged to be a part of it. So let's roll up our sleeves. And by God's grace, get to work. Amen? Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It is my joy and delight now to introduce to you and to install uh, the newest members of our faculty here at Covenant College. So I'm going to ask that as I introduce them, uh, they stand and remain standing. And then after I've introduced them, I will uh, pose to them uh, questions of installation. 
So we're delighted to welcome back to our midst this morning, uh, Lindsay Fain, Associate Dean of the Graduate School of Education. Professor Fain received both her M.Ed. in Educational Leadership and her B.A. in Middle Grades Education from Covenant College, where she was also a member of the Lady Scots Soccer Program. Thought that might get some shouts. Uh, after graduating from Covenant, she served for six years as Dean of Women at Providence Christian School in Dothan, Alabama, and for five years as a rhetoric instructor. She's currently pursuing a Ph.D. in Educational Leadership from Columbia International University. Professor Fain and her husband Chris, also a Scot, are the parents of John Parker, Maggie Kate, and Merritt. Welcome back, Professor Fain. I uh, would also like to introduce you to you this morning, Arwen Matos Wood, Assistant Professor of Marketing. Professor Matos Wood earned her MBA from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and her BS in apparel management from Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia. Before coming to Chattanooga to work at Chatham as a senior brand manager, Professor Matos Wood was a brand manager for the Bush Brothers and Company in Knoxville, Tennessee. She brings with her a wide range of marketing experience that includes associate product manager at Frito-Lay Incorporated, assistant brand manager for Quaker Oats, and product manager at Performance Incorporated and Rival Sport LLC. She is married to Joe, and they have two daughters, Catherine and Lauren. Now, I would like to pose to the two of you our questions of installation. I would ask that you uh, answer by saying, I do. Do you acknowledge the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the word of God, inerrant in the original writings, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the doctrinal standards of Covenant College as embodying the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? Do you? Do you believe that you have been induced to seek the office of faculty member in this college from love to God and a sincere desire to promote his glory in the gospel of his son? Do you? Do you willingly assume the responsibilities of a faculty member in this college in agreement with your declaration when you accepted its call and do you promise to discharge the duties of a member of this faculty as God shall give you strength? I would like to invite Dr. Jeff Hall, Vice President for Academic Affairs, to lead us in a prayer of installation. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you now in a spirit of celebration and expectation. We are encouraged by your bringing into our community these, your servants. As they are installed today, they have accepted a call to a place of high responsibility and privilege, and we would beseech you on their behalf to hold them close, to use them mightily for your work and for your kingdom. Without your aid, we would all be destined to become self-reliant, proud, rebellious in our work. We pray that these professors and our entire community will always seek the giver rather than the gifts. Please allow the truth and joy of your gospel to be evident in this place, and may Jesus be preeminent in all that we do. We pray specifically for our new colleagues. We pray for Professor Fain, 
that her work with those who aspire to serve in the field of education may be informed by scriptural principles and inspired by the agency of the Holy Spirit so that current educators and future teachers she serves will nurture students in ways that honor you and extend your gospel and offer a foretaste of your kingdom. We pray for Professor Matos Wood as she works in the area of marketing. May her work with students help them to imagine how they might faithfully steward relationships, making connections between providers and receivers of goods and services in a manner that demonstrates love for neighbor. We celebrate with great joy these friends added to our number. We pray that you would give faculty members and students a special welcoming spirit of hospitality toward them. May these new colleagues feel welcomed as sisters. Challenge our community with their gifts. And above all, let a love grow between and among all of us, testifying that we belong to your son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Would you all please join me in welcoming the newest members of our faculty? I'm privileged now to introduce the chairman of our board of trustees, Mr. Craig Wood, to deliver a charge from the board. Now, Mr. Wood is a graduate of the University of Virginia with a BA in English. He also earned an MED in public administration from the University of Virginia and completed coursework and comprehensive exams for an EDD from the University of Virginia. Before he shifted tracks, he earned a law degree from Washington and Lee University, magna cum laude, and has practiced law since earning that degree at McGuire Woods in Charlottesville, Virginia, where he has for a number of years now been a partner. He served as the chair of the board of directors for World Harvest Mission, now Surge, in Philadelphia, as chair of the board of directors for the Center for Christian Study at the University of Virginia, and as chair of the board of trustees of the Covenant School in Charlottesville, Virginia. He and his wife, Lisa, attend Trinity Presbyterian Church in Charlottesville, where he serves as a ruling elder. They have five children and... Five? Five and eight-ninths grandchildren. So number six is on the way. Uh, his daughter, Ashley, another lady soccer scot, graduated from Covenant College in 2007. Would you please welcome the chair of our board, Mr. Craig Wood. Thank you. Mr. President, faculty, students, and guests, on behalf of the Board of Trustees of Covenant College, it is my great pleasure to welcome you to this new academic year. This is an exciting and energizing time, and you are the reason your board prays for and serves the college. My charge to you is drawn from 2 Chronicles chapter 1, where Solomon is becoming king of Israel. In verse 7, God appears to Solomon and says to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon replies, give me wisdom and knowledge that I might lead these people. God is pleased with the response and blesses Solomon as he asks. My charge to you is to use this year in pursuit of wisdom and knowledge. There is a significant difference in the two. 
And while knowledge is essential, it is knowledge applied with wisdom that will empower you to lead in a complex and fallen world. You had many different options for where you might attend college, both secular and Christian. You chose well. You could have attended a secular college or university. There, you could have attained a great deal of knowledge. They would teach you the who, what, when, and where of history, literature, and government. They would teach you the how of education, physics, and chemistry, social sciences, and art. But they cannot teach you what they do not know, which is the wisdom that comes from seeking after God and pursuing the answer to the question, why, from a biblical perspective? Why is the great question of the Christian faith, and it unlocks the doors to all of the other great questions. Why did God make us? Why did God give us free will? And why does it matter? Why did God redeem us from the misery of our sin? Why does God want us to persevere in the work of the faith 2,000 years after the cross? Now, Dr. Kaufman's already answered that question from quoting from Martin Luther, so you can check that one off. You've learned that. But these are the types of why questions that we need to be asking and seeking answers to. And your outstanding faculty won't just teach you the who, what, when, where, and how of their discipline. They will, of course, teach those things. They are essential to being an educated person. But the faculty are here because they care deeply about you, and they care profoundly about the question why. Regardless of their field of expertise, they have dedicated their lives to the pursuit of knowledge and the wisdom of seeking God revealed in their scholarly writing and teaching. They are a gift to you. Treasure them. So I charge you to seek wisdom. Ask why. Do it with humility, with respect, with an open heart and mind. And my prayer is that the spirit of the living God will pour himself into the hearts and minds of everyone gathered here today and will fill all of us up with wisdom that comes only from him so that when it is our time to lead, we will be prepared to lead as Solomon did, blessing those we serve with a wisdom that is timeless and perfect. Thank you, and God bless you all. I'd like to invite Mr. Rodney Miller, Dean of Records, to introduce the new students. Will all of the new students please stand?
President, I'm pleased to present these new students to you, to the faculty and staff of Covenant College, and I certify that these students have met the requirements for matriculation to the degree programs of Covenant College. We are glad you guys are here. And I officially welcome you to Covenant College in the trust that he who has begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now would everyone please stand and turn in your programs to the ceremony of commitment. And let's join together in this responsive reading as we commit again to the work that God has given us. Do not deceive yourselves. The wisdom of this world is foolishness in the sight of God. Who is wise and understanding among you? But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be arrogant or deny the truth. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or has taught him anything? But we have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be asked, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father.
It was Christ who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the full measure of perfection found in Christ. I'd like to invite Dr. Alicia Jackson, Associate Professor of History, to close us in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for a new beginning. We thank you for a new year. We thank you for new friends. We ask for your grace as we embark on a new year, that as students, staff, and faculty we would exude the motto of this place, in all things Christ preeminent. That in our speech to one another, we will represent you. In our love for each other, we will represent you. In our interaction with those outside these walls, we will represent you. We pray, O oh Father, that when we end this year, in the midst of boasting in our weakness, we can say we have fought a good fight. We have run a good race. And that you will say in the words of Matthew 25, 21, well done, my good 